Thank you, Father, this morning for your word, which is fresh, live, and active. Your word, which is blessing us and leading us right to your purpose, Lord, and what you want us to become. This morning, we come together, Lord, and ask for the inspiration from the Spirit. We ask that you may touch us, Lord, and teach us that we may be able to live a life that you intended us to have in this world. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Uh, today, uh, in our second of the series, we are going to look at the title that says, Love Matters Most. Love Matters Most. Uh, last, last, last Sunday, uh, Lena started, and we, it, we really had... We really had a good time. It, she was talking about it's all about love. And we learned how God's love in our lives make us to be able to live uh, well with one another. And just reminded about the commandments uh, from the Ten Commandments, the laws of, of Moses uh, given by God to Moses, how the law is divided into the first part of the laws talks about our love for God. And the second part of the law talks about our love for one another, you know. And, and Jesus also comes up summing everything. There was a time when the disciples asked Jesus. When people asked Jesus, he was teaching and they asked him, which one was the most important of the commandments that God gave to man? And in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to verse 39, Jesus responds to them saying, uh, they asked him a question, which is the most of the import, which one is the most important command? Then Jesus says, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second most important is similar. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. You know, like from, from the beginning, it's so much human to be able to compare which one is better, which one is greater, which one, who is the most beautiful, who is the most handsome. It's so much human temptation and to be at competition of who is the most powerful, who is the most wise. Who is the most beautiful? Even when the Bible says God created us all fearful and wonderful in his image. Amen. He did not say that Eve was more beautiful than Adam, <laughs> by the way. He says that he created them male and female, and they were fearful and wonderfully created in his image. So that has gone on up to now, up to the time uh, Jesus was on earth. They asked him, Lord, which one is the most important of all the commandments? Tell us just the one. The temptation is, if you tell us that if this is the most important, we are going to follow that one and respect it more. Isn't it true? If you say that the rest are not important, then it's as good as saying that we can or we cannot follow them. So Jesus did not tell them which one is the most important, but he summed up all the commandments into two. The love for God and the love for one another. And all these other commandments are coming right underneath these two divisions. The love for God. If you love the Lord your God, you will not be able to worship other idols. 
right? If you love the Lord your God, you will not falsely swear upon his name. If you love the Lord your God, you will worship him and keep his day holy. If you love the Lord your God, you will give him your spirit, your soul, your mind, and your body. You will honor and worship the Lord with your whole being because you love him. And if you love your neighbor, you will not kill him. If you love your neighbor, you will not steal from them. If you love your friend, you will not take away their wife, you know, and you will not forcefully bear witness against them so that they are thrown in prison and you remain as a champion. So Jesus divides them rightly into two and all the commandments are not alterated, but they are falling right under the two divisions or the two categories. And Jesus says, the first one, the important one is love the Lord. And the other important, it's not like it's the second important. It says the next one, which is similar, it is love your neighbor. So love is everything. It means that without love, we would be able to lose the sense of being human. Without love, we can't coexist. Love separates man from animals. Love separates us from anything else that God created. Because love fills us with passion and compassion and, be, and, and, and just that longing to see someone else being better and even to see that to worship and love God more. That's what love is able to do. We need love. And actually, the Bible says that those who love, they belong to God because God is love. If God is love, we, his children, need to embrace and know how to love God's way. Uh, something also uh, that clicked in my mind, what Paul said. Paul starts comparing also. Uh, on everything else and just trying to promote how important love is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1, starting from verse 1, I want you to read with me. It's quite a long uh, passage, but I want you to read with me from verse 1 up to verse 13. I'm going to go through it quickly, and then I'm going to divide it into two as well. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong. Or a clenching symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, again, I gain and I am nothing. Right? Then he continues to say, now this is the part that fascinates me a lot. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It, does n it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Then it says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Right? There will come a time, prophecies 
says, where there are tongues, the tongues will come to an end. They will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, also he says that even knowledge will pass away. <laughs> For we know in parts and we prophesy in parts, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. So also all those things will disappear. Verse 11 says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Do I? You should ask yourself. Do you? <laughs> I think I don't. I don't know about you. And he said, when I became a man, I put away all those childish childhood behind me. And verse 12 says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. And, and continuing in, in, in verse, now I know in part, verse 13 says, uh, let me read it from uh, my version. It says that, uh, all right, there we go. Okay. Uh, now I know in part, and therefore, verse 13 says this. And let me just read verse 12b. It says, for now we see in part, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face we will see completeness. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also I am known. I only can know to only the capacity for which I have been exposed to knowledge. Now verse 13, that's what really... Uh, moved my heart for this scripture. It says, and now this abides, faith, hope, and love. These three abide. The greatest of them all is love. Look at what Paul tries to say. He begins to bring up something that is really great. He says, though I prophesy, though I speak in tongues, Though I have the gift that can turn mountains or the faith that can move and shake mountains. He says, without love, all that is nothing. I mean, who among us wouldn't want to have that kind of power to have the faith that shakes mountains? To have the kind of power to understand mysteries. To understand uh, all this complicated human science and, and science in the world and the universe and all this math and to understand the mysteries. And it also says, even have the wisdom, the knowledge and, and know all wisdom because no one even knows all the wisdom. No one has all the wisdom in this life except for God. He says, even if I grow to the extent where I know all the mysteries, I understand them, and I, I have all the wisdom. Without love, I am nothing. Without love, I am nothing. Can you put up verse 4 uh, on that scripture again, starting from verse 4 going down? Yes, the next, uh-huh, this one. Then it says, love is patient. Now, it is, this is, to me, it's kind of a scripture that I wish never existed in that Bible because... It makes it quite, Paul here is talking about everything that a human race struggles with. That's what he's talking about. Maybe not you, but 
I kind of sometimes struggle with being patient. Do you? I'm not talking about you. You are superhumans. But those who did not come with me sometimes struggle with that. Look at those things. He says, love is patient. How many of us just loses it sometimes? You're like, ah! And <laughs> your patience is just over. And God is saying that, just be patient. Have you heard about those prayers that said, God, if today you do not bless me, I will lose it today. I'll get away from your presence. I've heard such uh, prayers. You're like, my brother, God is God. God remains God. Even if he doesn't do it, he's God. Be patient. And then it says, love is kind. Do you know that selfishness is really embedded in the nature of being human? A baby just growing up as a young person, you give them uh, a sweet or a candy and ask it from them. They may or they may not give it to you. You know what my kids will do? They'll pinch, they'll cut a very little part and give it to you and remain with the whole big part of it. And most kids are like that. Isn't that true? And most of us are like that. And God, time and again, after he blesses us, after he lifts us, he comes, he wants. I did not been for that. I did not been that we suffer with the issue of being kind and being generous. Probably they wouldn't even be offering in churches because God wants us to, you know, love him back. <laughs> you know, there wouldn't be so many of the things that exist. But God wants us, want to keep us accountable to him. We have to offer tithe to him. We have to give offering to him. We have to honor others. We have to, you know, because these things are very hard for people to keep. Being patient, we always lose patience. I, I, the drivers in here would say amen when they are driving in the long, long queue and there is a congestion. How many of us don't hoot? Like, boom, boom, boom. Somebody who is ahead of you is not moving fast at your speed. You feel like I can push them a little bit so that I can go where I am. And kindness is something that we learn every day how to be kind. How about envy? <laughs> they are talking about love is patient, love is kind. Love is not envy. How do we feel when we see others progressing? How do we feel when we see others are looking fairer than we do. When others are speaking better than we do. How do we feel when others are running fast in their calling, in their gifting? How about at work when somebody else is shining? Don't we feel like they want to take over every department? Maybe you don't have that situation. I think I do have at my working place. They are not here, so no one will tell them. Pastor Nicholas won't tell them either. So, and then... Love does not boast. How many of us in here do not or have never boasted about how we do things better, how we, how we are and ourselves? Maybe the press team do not have that, how we know how to play better, how we sing better. In other churches, you find that there is contention among them who has the better voice than the other. Not in open church, of course. You find in other places how the tech team, how the guys know how to do better sound and better visuals than the other. You guys, keep it up. Kudos for you. You guys are well united. 
how we do better hosting in the hosting team or Asher, how we do better hosting than the others, how I'm punctual than the others. You guys, not in open church, you guys are so much united. You work as a team. But you find that boasting, being boastful and, and being full of pride is the very thing that made man to fall from God's standard. Because we always want to lift up ourselves above everyone else. We don't like running together. We want to run alone. So that we can have something to show and prove to the whole world that we are much better than, the, than that. I, when, I, when I read this, this 1 Corinthians 13, I'm like, he's making it so difficult. Love does not dishonor others. Remember, honor your father and mother that you may live long. And there, in our open church, when you look at uh, the church that we see, there is so many one another's in the church. Just to show that we have to move together, honor one another, love one another, pray for one another, do good to one another. The whole New Testament is full of one another's because God is love and he loved us so much that he gave up his life for us that we may be able to be saved and love one another and love God. Love does not dishonor others, but love honors. Love honors others. Love is not self-seeking. What is our motive in doing what we do? In becoming what we become? What is our motive in everything? If our motive is, is self-seeking, self-exhorting uh, ourselves or putting ourselves in front and making sure that we are the ones in the spotlight, then we are not exercising the God kind of love. Because love from God is not self-seeking. And love is not easily angered. Others say, oh, my anger just trips. It triggers. I have a short, ang oh, short temper. In Bemba we say, in a color blower. <laughs> you know, it means that, I don't know if it's a thermostat or something, it blows easily. It's like... It trips, right? <laughs> Color tripper, you say. That's not love. It does not easily anger. If God, God's anger tripped easily, we all would have been, I don't know, <laughs> wouldn't be alive. But God has, has long suffering, is slow to anger, is not quick to act in his judgment of our lives. But the blood of Jesus speaks better things and he covers us. Jesus says, I died for them. Give them more time, Lord. And that's why we are here. His judgment is not like Kalatripa. God is always there to bring us back. He's always bringing back the one and leaving the 99 behind safe, but bringing the ones who are lost. And there goes the most challenging part. Love does not keep record of wrongs. Oh, man, I'm hoping my wife is not looking at me on this part. <laughs> I'll look right at Andreas. Andreas, love does not keep the record of wrongs. <laughs> you guys are so innocent, but I'm growing in that. Every day I have to remind myself to keep the record of the right things. But you know what? There's so much temptation to remember how it hurt last time. 
how it didn't work well with me last time. And probably even 30 years from, 30 years ago. <laughs> That's not love either. I am growing in that as a human as well. Are you? Love does not keep records of wrong. It does not keep record of wrong things. That's this one thing I loved about when I read the Old Testament, the story of kings. Let me start from King David. <laughs> I won't go in many other kings because of time. King David, when he was giving over power to his son Solomon, after telling him to walk in the ways of the Lord, <laughs> to do all these good things, to build the Lord a house, a dwelling place, and then he says, make sure that Shimei and all his household does not grow to see the gray air on their face, on their heads. Because they laughed at me. They mocked at me. And he goes to that, go and make sure that that person does not see the next day. <laughs> you know, go. He, he gives them the record of wrong things that happened to them. And say, they did and that to me. Make sure that they do not also see joy or happiness in your reign. Make sure that you exterminate them. Make sure that you kill all of them. That's being human. We usually keep record of wrong. And when you go through the history of kings, you find those things, how they passed on good things and how they passed on bad things. And how some of you have a record of wrong things against somebody in this place or in your family or your friends because they did those things 65 years ago. And how some of those things, you, they did not even do those things to you, but they did it maybe to some other people. And you are hate, you are offended because of that, and you have all this list in your heart. Sometimes I, I wish if our brains could forget that easily, it would have been much better. But I want to tell you, our brain have been built, brains are built up with the capacity to remember things that happened even for a billion or billions of years. We have a strong memory. To be able to remember things, we remember both good and bad things. But if we keep or hold somebody to the wrongs that they did, then we are not loving. Bible says we should let go. Even when we remember, we say it is under the blood. I've forgiven that brother, may God bless his soul. I've forgiven that sister, may God bless her soul. Because love lets go. Love does not keep record of wrongs. Many people will offend us. It's we have the right or we have the choice to hold on to the record of the wrong things people have offended us. We also have the right and the choice to let go and also live a happy life. Amen. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. What does it do? It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. You know, that's what love is. It always perseveres. It hopes. It trusts. And that's God's heart. If God never trusted, if Jesus is not trusting, all of us, maybe most of us, would not even be called to minister before other people because we have failed him before. But he keeps on pushing us forward and trusting us. He knows we are better than we do. We can be better. We can do better. He knows that we have the capacity to be better and be able to do better than we are doing today. 
providing only that we grow in his love. Don't give up and think about all these bad things that has happened, like Paul said from verse 4 all the way down to verse 6. Don't think about them. Hold on to verse 7. He's talking about how we can grow in hoping. He's talking about how we can grow in trusting. He's talking about how we can grow in protecting one another. How we can persevere even when we pass through wrong things. Even when we pass through bad things. We need to persevere and God will give us his grace sufficient for us to be able to stand and be strong and go extra miles. Amen. Everything else will pass away. Even knowledge, even tongues. But love will always be there. God is love. And can I tell you? The love that the loving or practicing love on this side of eternity is only a picture or a shadow of practice of love for eternity together with God forever and ever. Because there, when this time, when this world passes away, when Jesus returns to come and take the church to where he is, we are going to be with him and love him forever and ever. So what we do on earth today is an image, is a practice of how we are going to love him forever and love one another forever. So we do not have to fail him here. I can tell you, growing up, I grew up with, uh, with the records of wrong stuff for my father. Uh, because we were born twins. I have a twin sister. And my twin sister is fairer, like light, very much light in complexion looking than I do. And my parents, dad is very light in complexion and mom is not. So apart from that, I think there could be many reasons. So I don't know, I didn't know why my father kind of hated me so much. And he would beat me up for the records, for the wrongs that I did not do as long as I was there when other people were doing those stuff. I'll be beaten for being around and not telling them to stop doing what they were doing. And I was not, I'm not the firstborn. I'm the number five in the family of sin. Praise the Lord. God-loving parents. So obedient to the word of God. Hallelujah. Fulfilling the scripture, multiplying and replenishing the earth. Same father, same mother. Take a sin case. Uh, sets of three twins in the family. I was number, I'm number five. I see who I am. And I wasn't, as you can see, muscular and all that big guy to be able to defend everyone else. But I'll be beaten up for what I did not do. You were there. Why didn't you tell them not to do that? I'm like, they are older than me. Oh, we are age mates. They're like, oh, you are stubborn. And I got beaten. <laughs> so I grew up with this rejection in my heart. And I remember asking my mother who my father was. That's how bad it was. I grew up with so much resentment for my father, and I was just looking at a way, if I had a father, he would protect me by beating up this man. That was my father, biological father. God-loving man, he is, we are good friends now. And I started feeling rejected a lot because probably I did not look like him, I looked like mom, and I wasn't as light as everyone else in the family. So I started feeling like standing out. And I, at times when we, we picked up a difference with my siblings, they would say, I will tell dad. And I knew if they did, dad would descend on me so mightily. 
then what do I do? I started seeking for revenge. I started seeking for defense. I started seeking for speaking for myself in an action-oriented way. So I joined martial arts. I was a quiet guy. I never spoke much. I said only one word. I was very much introverted, and I never spoke a word the whole day, actually. Part of it, it was because I was hurting, and I was thinking where my father was, but he was right there. And I would ask mom where my dad is, and I remember telling dad one day that you are not my father. And I think that was a turning moment for him at points. So I joined the martial arts, and because I never spoke a lot, I had hot tempers, and I started fighting a lot to give myself value, weight, and voice in the community. I went from white belt, orange belt, to black belt. I learned judo. I learned taekwondo. I learned squadging mantis. I learned seven types of martial arts, sidokans and shotokans and all those things. <laughs> I became a sensei. <laughs> Just to find relevance and voice for myself. And all that because it was like when daddy tries one day, I'm going to show him some cutters he never. <laughs> you know? But somewhere, somehow, dad stopped fighting, but I did not have where to take those things. I started fighting my siblings. I started fighting in school. I started fighting in community. And you know, some of you grew up that time. That's when this movie of Rambo, Sylvester Stallone, was there. And my name is Sylvester. And <laughs> you know what that means, right? Whenever somebody starts my siblings or my sisters, they're like, that's a young child, a young brother, young sister to Sylvester, and everyone will just stop immediately, even in school. My teachers could not correct any me anymore. My, my elder, elders would not correct me anymore because I never spoke. I lifted whatever was near me. If I did not do some kata, some ray, hi, I then could lift something nearby. And the enemy started taking charge in my life. I did not find relevance that I was seeking in martial arts. I went all the way to being trained by the commandos and training with knives and all those things. Where did I not go inspiring all over Zambia in training? I got my limbs broken many times, and I broke so many people's limbs uh, in doing so, in winning, in having all the belts that I had to acquire. Then one day, I divided the village into three. Rings. So I was a ringleader of, of the north, there was a ringleader of the south, and there was a ringleader of the west. So that's how it was divided. So the boys on the west cannot come to the south, and those cannot go to. So we were like the dominant, the alpha male of, this, of that ring, and then we would go ahead and take their girls and take their foods, you know. <laughs> Hallelujah. God is great. So one day, those guys could not put up with my nonsense anymore. They had to go for a fight, and we met in the football ground. At 18, there was a moon. 
and then we had to fight. So my team and that team started fighting. So the rule was, we, so I trained up, I had 12 disciples, and trained them in martial arts. They were so terrible. <laughs> so they were fighting, and after the fight were over, the rule of the game was that the ringleaders now have to fight them among themselves. So whosoever is victorious will be the ringleader of all the rings. Now with the hate for my father in my heart, I went so deep in knowing this stuff and, and all that. So fast forwarding the story, we were fighting. We were fighting. And then I had to use some deadly weapons in judoka and all that and hit this person really bad and he passed out. In my mind, he was dead. So everyone else had to run away. All the people, all my disciples fled. <laughs> all my disciples fled and all the guys in other rings, they went and they left one of their Ringleader down, gasping, fighting for his last breath. Because I'm sure some, some, some respiratory tracts were blocked or something like that with some judoka techniques and skills and all those things. So I stood there. I was not told remorse in my martial arts. I did not have pity. I had hurt that were supposed to go towards my father that I had to go to other people. And then I could not run because defeat is not anything that we were taught in those years in the, in the martial arts. So I was there looking at him and watching him, waiting for him to wake up again so that I show him some more. Then people started coming. Now that was my turning point. I heard the voice that I never forget up to now. It is so clear in my ears. And I, could, I heard it in my heart that Sylvester... I love you. This is not the life I called you for. I have a greater plan and purpose for you. And Jeremiah 29 verse 11 came so loud in my hearing. I heard it in a different way for the first time that I know the plan that I have for you. This is not the plan for you. If you accept my love... If you accept, my, you accept me, I will lead you to be able to be a blessing to so many people. That brought life and light to my eyes. I could see somebody was there. For the first time in my life, I had to run away. Crying. I did not know what to do, how to help that guy. I fled, and the Lord kept on speaking to my heart. The Lord kept on ministering to my heart. Thank God that guy did not die after some many days in ICU, in IUC, ICU, in the hospital. <laughs> he came back to life. And after three weeks, that's when I came back. And then we met with that guy. And the first thing is, he fell to his knees. And I was ashamed. He fell to his knees to ask for mercy and for forgiveness for me. I was like, by then the Lord had touched my heart. I was like, I am the one who almost took your life. 
I should be the one begging you for mercy, forgiveness, not you. And by the end of the thing is we forgave one another. We prayed together. We cried together. The guy is a born-again believer. And on the following Sunday, I gave my life to the Lord. And I'm talking about 24 years ago. I got baptized and started following the Lord. I went through deliverance from my martial arts and all these meditations. We are to do lecture divina. You know, you meditate on all those things and, and, and get your life really defeated by not feeling any pain, not feeling any remorse, but just being aimed at destroying somebody. I learned from now, looking back 24 years ago or so, I learned everything that love is not. Because of the anger, because of the hate in my heart, it made me really to be a bad person. And I had no friends. I was alone and lonely. Whatever I wanted to do never went anywhere. It never gave me. I still needed people. But this time around, people are not fearing me because I was quiet. They were fearing me because I was violent. You see how when we feel not loved, how we go about messing up and destroying good things around us. But it starts very small, like entertaining the thoughts that no one loves me. No one cares for me. I am not enough. I am not beautiful. I'm not wise. I'm not strong. I pray today that God will renew you, will fill you with love, honor, and trust. Because God is love, and he wants you and I to be a loving person. Later on, I think like 15 years ago, I had to meet my father and speak to him about how I felt growing up. The man was not even aware. He never had an idea. He said that I knew that you are going to become a powerful person because God spoke ABCD and I could see you are wise and intelligent and all that. So I just wanted to protect you. I was like, yeah, you did it for good, but I think it did me bad. We had to meet up with my father under the man on man talk. Man to man talk. Right now, we are really good buddies. We are good friends. Actually, my father calls me dad. You know, like, I feel God when he says, father, he calls me father, he calls me, he calls me dad. And that happens in the family of all those. I happens to be the only pastor in the family, and he's a pastor, and we are like best buddies. But if the enemy allowed it, if I never, if the Lord, I never gave in to the Lord's call for love, the enemy would still be taking the best part of me and leave me with the worst part. I wouldn't be standing here to be a blessing to many people. Am I a blessing to you guys? Awesome. <laughs> so there are three laws of love in our learning. I'll just go through them quickly. The first one says, the, in your book, if you go in your sermon book, it says, the best use of life is love. So the word you put there is, the best use of life is love. Loving is the best way to use the love God has given to us. Because love validates my faith. In 1 John 4.8 it says, whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And also Paul says to the, uh, John says, 1 John 4 says, if we say we love God but, they, but hurt others, we are liars. For we cannot love God whom we have not seen. If we do not love others whom we have seen, 
How can we claim to have loved God? The best use of life is love. Because love validates my faith. Love integrates my life also. You know, love makes me to be one with God because he's the author of love. And also love compensates for sin. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for our sins because he loved us. Not because he couldn't create some other humans on earth. It's because we were the best creation that he had. And he loved us so dearly that he came to love, to die for us. So love actually compensates for sin. In Colossians, he says, love is more important than anything else. It is what ties everything completely together in chapter 3, verse 14. Love ties everything together. May we be tied up with the love of God. Love reverberates forever. Love does not end. Love is a cycle that does not end. It has no weak link. It has no breaking point. The other law, the second law is the best expression of love is time. The best expression of love is time. As long as you have time on you, as long as you are alive, there is breath in you, you can express love to somebody. You can express love to God if you choose so. I pray that if you are in this house, and your heart is full of hate for people like I was many years ago for my father. If your heart is full of pain and torture for what people are treating you maybe today or what they treated you for or what they are doing, I pray that the Holy Spirit and God will give you that strength to let go and forgive them so that the light of Christ will shine in you. To keep on shining and shining until that perfect day. The best expression of love is time. And the third law says, the best time to love is now. When is the best time to love? Can I hear from you? When is the best time to love? When is the best time to love? Now. Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But what did he say? That neighbor one day will hate you, will become your enemy. When they become, what do you need to do? Huh? Love them. How are you forgetting the scripture so soon? <laughs> love your neighbor. And that neighbor is not only the man or the woman next door. It's everyone you come in contact with. It's everyone who needs your help. It is a, a good Samaritan and the man who was passing, you know, uh, and, and, you know, that kind of love. Everyone who is in need of your help is your neighbor. But you know what? At times, that person in need of your help, even you cut you the most. They say the people who loves you the most hate you the most sometimes. Because they know where you are weak. They know where you are strong. They know where to hate you the most than even people who are far away. So Jesus knows that sometimes we'll be hurt by the people that we've in love. Actually, he says that the best 
A man's best enemy is a member of what? His only family. Have you read about that? The people in your circle can become even your greatest enemy. So the enemies are not just far away. They are even within you. The enemy, Satan, can torment and touch and get into somebody to be able to cause you the most pain and injuries and harm. But you know what Jesus says? Love your enemies and do good to those who offend you. And Jesus says, because, you know, love does not repay evil for evil. Jesus says, if they hit you on one side, why? If they hit you on one side, give them the other side. Not to say that we are so weak and defenseless and can't defend ourselves, no. But it says that do not repay evil for evil. Actually, you can't put out fire by throwing a container of gasoline on it. What happens? There will be an explosion, right? Somebody taught me uh, or told me a way that has stuck with me. That if you feed an argumentative spirit, it grows bigger and swallows you. So what I'm trying to say is two wrongs don't make a right. I pray, I pray that God will fill us with his heart and with his love to the extent that we shine and rise up for Jesus in our time. May God give us power and strength to be able to forgive. Because God forgives sin and love compensates for sin. People wrong us, but we have a right and a choice and a decision to make whether to react against them or to forgive, pray for them and let them know that what they did was wrong. But they know that I've forgiven you. The Bible does not say we will not be offended, will not be, will not, will not anger or feel hang, angry. It says, but do not let your anger lead you to sin. And it says, when you are offended by your brother, seek for dialogue. Talk about it. So that together you can win each other again and move on to loving the Lord. I never did that with my father. And I let time pass. Until I became bad. I became more dangerous to human, to community, to society. By the time that I realized that I'm not living in obedience to the Lord, I think the Lord renewed me and restored me. I pray today for three things to arise in you. Faith, hope, and love. That's what 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says. These three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. Let us close our eyes as we think about what I have said. What we have learned today. And like our last law said, the best time to love is now. Are you going to make a choice and a decision in your heart today to love, to let go, to forgive?